Chapter 9 of The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. The History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume 1 by Eliza Haywood. Chapter 9 contained such things as might be reasonably expected after the preceding adventure. When, in anything irregular, and liable to censure, more persons than one are concerned, how natural is it for each to accuse the other, and it often happens, in this case, that the greatest part of the blame falls on the least culpable. After Mr. Francis had left the ladies, in order to be more fully convinced in the matter, and to take such measures as he thought would best become him for the reparation of the affront offered the honour of his family, Miss Flora began to reproach Miss Betsy for having related anything of what had passed to her brother. "'By your own account,' she said, "'no harm was done to you, but some people love to make a bustle about nothing.' "'And some people,' replied Miss Betsy tartly, "'love nothing but the gratification of their own passions, "'and having no sense of virtue and modesty themselves "'can have no regard to that of another.' "'What do you mean, Miss?' cried the other with a pert air. "'My meaning is pretty plain,' rejoined Miss Betsy. "'But since you affect so much ignorance, I must tell you,' that the expectations of a second edition of the same work Mr. Galen had helped you to compose, though from another quarter, tempted you to sneak out of the room and leave your friend in danger of falling a sacrifice to what her soul most detests and scorns. These words stung Miss Flora to the quick. Her face was in an instant covered with a scarlet blush, and every feature betrayed the confusion of her mind. But recovering herself from it, much sooner than most others her age could have done. "'Good lack!' cried she. "'I fancy you are setting up for a prude. But pray, how came Mr. Galen into your head? What, because I told you he innocently romped with me one day in the chamber? Are you so censorious as to infer anything criminal passed between us?' "'Whatever I infer,' replied Miss Betsy disdainfully, I have better vouchers for the truth of than your report, and would advise you, when you go home, to get the chink in the panel of the wainscot of my lady's dressing-room stopped up, or your next rendezvous with that gentleman may possibly have witnesses of more ill-nature than myself. That can scarcely be, said Miss Flora, ready to burst with vexation, but don't think I value your little malice. You are only angry because he slighted the advances you made him, and took all opportunities to show how much his heart and judgment gave the preference to me. These words so picked the vanity of Miss Betsy, that not able to bear she should continue in the imagination of being better liked than herself, though even by the man she hated, told her the solicitations he had made to her, the letter she had received of him, and the rebuff she had given him upon it. So that, pursued she, it was not till after he found there was no hope of gaining me that he carried his desires to you. Miss Flora was more nettled at this than she was at the discovery she now perceived the other had made of her intrigue. She pretended, however, not to believe a word of what she had said, but willing to evade all further discourse on that head, returned to the adventure, 
they had just gone through with the Oxonians. Never expect, said she, to pass it upon any one of common sense, that if you had not a mind to have been alone with that terrible man, as you now describe him, you would have stayed in the room after I was gone, and called to you to follow. It was in vain that Miss Betsy denied she had either heard her speak or knew anything of her departure, till some time after she was gone, and the gentleman commoner began to use her with such familiarities as convinced her he was sensible no witnesses were present. This, though no more than truth, was of no consequence to her justification, to one determined to believe the worst, or at least seemed to do so. Miss Flora treated with contempt all she said on this score, derided her imprecations, and, to mortify her the more, said to her in a taunting manner, "'Come, come, Miss Betsy, tis a folly to think to impose upon the world by such shallow artifices. What your inclinations are is evident enough, any one may see, that if it had not been for your brother's unseasonable interruption, nobody would ever have heard a word of these insults you now so heavily complain of. Poor Miss Betsy could not refrain from letting fall some tears at so unjust and cruel an innuendo. But the greatness of her spirit enabled her in a few moments to overcome the shock it had given her. She returned reproaches with reproaches, and as she had infinitely more of truth and reason on her side, had also much the better in this combat of tongues. Nevertheless, the other would not give out. She upbraided and exaggerated with the utmost malicious comments on every little indiscretion Miss Betsy had been guilty of, repeated every censor which she had heard the ill-natured part of the world pass upon her conduct, and added many more, the invention of her own fertile brain. Some ladies they had made acquaintance with in town coming to visit them, put an end to the debate, but neither being able presently to forget the bitter reflections cast on her by the other, both remained extremely sullen the whole night, and their mutual ill-humour might possibly have lasted much longer, but for an accident more material which took off their attention, as it might have produced much worse consequences than any quarrel between themselves could be attended with. It happened in this manner. The brother of Miss Betsy was of a fiery disposition, and though those who were entrusted with the care of his education were not wanting in their pains to correct this propensity, which they thought would be the more unbecoming in him, as he was intended for the pulpit, yet did not their endeavors for that purpose meet with all the success they wished. Nature may be moderated, but never can be wholly changed. The seeds of wrath still remained in his soul, nor could the rudiments that had been given him be sufficient to hinder them from springing into action when urged by any provocation. The treatment his sister had received from the gentleman commoner seemed, to him, so justifiable a one that he thought he ought not, without great submissions on the part of the transgressor, be prevailed upon to put up with it. The first step he took was to sound the young student as to what he knew relating to the affair who freely told him, as Miss Betsy herself had done, where they met the ladies and the manner in which they went into the house, protesting that neither himself nor, according to the best of his belief, the gentleman commoner had at that time any designs in view, but mere complacence and gallantry. "'How, then, came you to separate yourselves?' cried Mr. Francis, with some earnestness. 
"'That also was accidental,' replied the other. "'Your sister's companion telling me she liked the garden better than the room we were in. "'I thought I could do no less than attend her thither. "'I confess I did not consult whether those we left behind had any inclination to follow us or not.' "'The air with which he spoke of this part of the adventure had something in it "'which did not give Mr. Francis the most favourable idea of Miss Flora's conduct, "'but that not much conquering him.' and finding nothing wherewith he could justly reproach the student he soon after quitted him and went to the gentleman commoner having been told he might find him in his rooms had any one been witness of the manner in which these two accosted each other they would not have been at a loss to guess what would ensue the brother of miss betsy came with a mind full of resentment and determined to repair the affront that had been offered to him in the person of a sister who was very dear to him by calling the other to a severe account for what he had done. The gentleman commoner was descended of a noble family, and had an estate to support the dignity of his birth, and was too much puffed up and insolent on the smiles of fortune. He was conscious the affront he had given demanded satisfaction, and neither doubted of the errand on which Mr. Francis was come, nor wondered at it but could not bring himself to acknowledge he had done amiss, nor think of making any excuse for his behavior guilt in a proud heart is generally accompanied with a sullen obstinacy for as the poet says forgiveness to the injured does belong but they ne'er pardon who have done the wrong he therefore received the interrogatories mr francis was beginning to make with an air rather indignant than complying which the other not being able to brook such hot words arose between them as could not but occasion a challenge which was given by Mr. Francis. The appointment to meet was the next morning at six o'clock, and the place, that very field in which the gentleman commoner and his friend had so unluckily happened to meet the ladies in their morning walk. Neither of them wanted courage, nor communicated their rendezvous to any one person, in hopes of being disappointed without danger of their honour, but each being equally animated with the ambition of humbling the arrogance of the other, both were secret as to the business, and no less punctual as to the time. The agreement between them was sword and pistol, which both having provided themselves with, they no sooner came within a proper distance than they discharged at one another. The first course of this fatal entertainment, that of the gentleman commoner, was so well aimed that one of the bullets lodged in the shoulder, and the other grazing on the fleshy part of the arm of his antagonist, put him into a great deal of pain. But these wounds rather increased than diminished the fury he was possessed of. He instantly drew his sword and ran at the other with so well directed a force that his weapon entered three inches deep into the right side of the gentleman commoner. Both of them received several other hurts, yet both still continued to fight with equal vehemence, nor would either of them in all probability have receded, till one or the other of them had lain dead upon the place, if some countrymen who by accident were passing that way had not, with their clubs, beat down the swords of both and carried the owners of them by mere force into the village they were going to where they were no sooner entered than several people who knew them seeing them pass by in this manner covered all over with their own blood and guarded by a pack of rustics ran out to inquire what had happened which being informed of 
they took them out of the hands of these men and provided proper apartments for them. By this time they were both extremely faint through the anguish of their wounds and the great effusion of blood that had issued from them. Surgeons were immediately sent for who, in examining their hurts, pronounced none of them to be mortal, yet such as would require some time for cure. Mr. Francis suffered extreme torture in having the bullet extracted from his shoulder, yet notwithstanding that and the weak condition he was in, he made a servant support him in his bed while he scrawled out these few lines to his sister, which as soon as finished were carried to her by the same person. To Miss Betsy Thoughtless, my dear sister, I have endangered my life and am now confined to my bed by the wounds I have received in endeavoring to revenge your quarrel. Do not think I tell you this by way of reproach, for I assure you, would the circumstance of the affair have permitted it to have been concealed, you never should have known it. I should be glad to see you, but think it not proper that you should come to me. Till I hear what is said concerning this matter, I shall send to you every day, and that you will be perfectly easy is the earnest request of, dear Betsy, your most affectionate brother, and humble servant, F. Thoughtless. The young ladies were that morning at breakfast in the parlour with the gentlewoman of the house when the maid came running in and told her mistress she had heard in a shop where she had been, of a sad accident that had just happened. Two gentlemen, cried she, of the university have been fighting and almost killed one another, and they say, continued she, it was about a young lady that one of them attempted to ravish. Miss Betsy and Miss Flora, at this intelligence, looked at each other with a good deal of confusion, already beginning to suspect who the persons were and how deeply themselves, one of them especially, was interested in this misfortune. The gentlewoman asked her servant if she knew the names of those who fought. No, madam, answered she, I could not learn that as yet, but the people in the street are all talking of it, and I doubt not, but I shall hear the whole story the next time I go out. The good gentlewoman, little imagining how much her guests were concerned in what she spoke, could not now forbear lamenting the ungovernableness of youth, the heedless levities of the one sex, and the mad-brained passions of the other. The persons on whom she directed this discourse would not at another time have given much ear to it, or perhaps have replied to it with raillery, but the occasion of it now put both of them in too serious a temper to offer any interruption. And she was still going on, inveighing against the follies and vices of the age, when Miss Betsy received the above letter from her brother, which confirmed all those alarming conjectures the maid's report raised in her mind. The mistress of the house, perceiving the young man who brought the letter, came upon business to the ladies, had the good manners to leave the room that they might talk with the greater freedom. Miss Betsy asked a thousand questions, but he was unable to inform her of no farther particulars than what the letter contained. The moment he was gone, she ran up to her chamber, threw herself upon the bed, and in a flood of tears gave loose to the most poignant vexation she had ever yet experienced. Miss Flora followed, and seeing her in this condition, thought she could do no less in decency than contribute everything in her power for her consolation. By the behavior of this young lady in other respects, however, the reader will easily perceive it was more 
Through policy, then real good nature, she treated her afflicted companion with the tenderness she did now. She knew that it was not by an open quarrel with Miss Betsy she could wreck any part of the spite she had conceived against her, and was therefore glad to lay hold of this opportunity to be reconciled. "'I was afraid, my dear,' said she, "'that it would come to this, and that put me in so great a passion with you yesterday for telling Mr. Francis anything of the matter.' The men are such creatures that there is no trusting them with anything. But come, continued she, kissing her cheek, don't grieve and torment yourself in this manner. You find there is no danger of death on either side, and as for the rest, it will all blow off in time. Miss Betsy said little to this. The sudden passion of her soul must have its vent. But when that was over, she began to listen to the voice of comfort, and, by degrees, to resume her natural vivacity, not foreseeing that this unhappy adventure would lay her under mortifications which to a person of her spirit were very difficult to be borne. End of chapter 9 Reading by Joyce Martin